Welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. This is the show that brings leading minds from the energy industry to discuss the challenges and trends that are transforming and modernizing our energy system. And new for 2024, our listeners can now submit a recorded question to a future podcast episode. Just look for the SpeakPipe link in the show notes below this episode and leave us a voicemail with a question for a future guest. And a quick thank you to Wes Monroe, our sponsor of today's show. Now, let's talk energy. I'm Jason Price, Energy Central podcast host and director with West Monroe, coming to you from New York City. And I'm joined once again by the producer of this show, Matt Chester, dialing in from Orlando, Florida. Matt, on today's show, we're going to discuss transmission with a lens toward how grid operators should be planning for the future of the grid and the role that regulators can or should play in that process, including in our upcoming FERC's regional transmission planning titled Building for the Future Through Electric Regional Transmission Planning and Cost Allocation. So, Matt, can you summarize for our listeners about past grid policy decisions we've had on this show? Of course, Jason, and these are the types of reminders I always like pointing out to our listeners to playlists we've built around certain topics. And of course, the grid is a major one. So we've done just that for for the grid. And if you go to our SoundCloud page for the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast, we have one listed playlist called The Grid Reliability and Resilience. So if you check that out, there's, uh, I believe, about a dozen episodes where you can catch a discussion from a DOE official about resilient grid planning. We had a utility CEO talking about the grid of tomorrow. We even had a recently published episode about what lessons we can learn from the Ukrainian grid as they remain resilient and many more. So no doubt this episode today will be a key one to add to that grid's playlist as well when we put it live. Thanks, Matt. And of course, today's guest knows a lot about the transmission industry coming from FERC as a former advisor to the FERC chairman, Pat Wood, during the Bush administration. Rob Gramlich is the president of Grid Strategies LLC, a power sector consulting firm focused on policy in the transmission spectrum. Rob and his team have been at the forefront of some thought leadership about key changes and developments to grid policy, recently publishing a study that we'll put into the show notes called The Era of Flat Power Demand is Over. We're eager to hear more as well as look ahead to some near-term developments expected in grid policy. So let's bring him into the conversation. Rob Gramlich, welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Thanks, Jason and Matt. Great to be with you both. Rob, let's start at the power demand report that your organization published in December. Can you give us the overview about why the study was performed and what were the conclusions? Sure. Well, at Grid Strategies, we like to monitor trends in the power sector, and that's why we've been very focused on transmission and power markets for a long time, particularly as uh, low cost wind and solar have come on the on the system and as severe weather and other strains on the grid have shown the value of large scale transmission and regional power markets. You know, these are some of the long term trends. And then, you know, a really big one that we were noticing recently, as were a lot of people, was this these recent load forecast changes not so much coming from official government reports or anything like that, but 
Really anecdotally, I mean, we do a lot of work with large uh, buyers who want carbon-free power. And, you know, we talk to them, see, see them at conferences, and the folks who are procuring all this energy have always wanted transmission and power markets and all, the, all these things for the same reasons. But very recently, with the growth, the expansion of AI and the popularity of artificial intelligence, those same people, their eyes were bugging out. They were saying, oh my gosh, I have to buy twice as much power as I thought I had to buy three months ago, and they don't know where to get it, and their criteria have completely changed. And so that was happening. And then also, obviously, the Inflation Reduction Act had incentives for electrification, electric vehicles, and that drives load. And the CHIPS Act for semiconductor manufacturing, also power intensive. So we're just seeing all these things point in the same direction of higher load, higher power demand. And so we decided to take a look and we, John Wilson and Zach Zimmerman on our good strategies team, we're familiar with the FERC 714 form data set. So that's one, it's not the, not the greatest or most authoritative, but it is, it is one nationwide data set filed by all utilities with a national regulator. So it's got some credibility for that. And sure enough, we're seeing this trend pop out in, in nationwide data. So. That's why we did it. We tried to see systematically is this, are these anecdotes adding up to data and a trend? And that's what we found, at least at the high level, as reflected in the title of the report, that the era of flat power demand that we had seen for the last 20 years seems to be over. That we, you know, that we don't know if it'll go back to the, you know, the 70s level or the 80s or the 90s. These other periods where we had two or three or five percent growth. But we felt like we did have enough support to make the claim that we've shifted into a new mode uh, and that all these trends are conspiring together to grow power demand. That's why we did it. That's why we put it out. And, and hopefully people read it and say, oh, well, I better take a serious look in my state or region or utility and you know, hire back the load forecasters who used to be many of them 20 years ago. We haven't had many of them because there wasn't much to do. But again, we don't have all the answers as a, a short report, but hopefully signals to regulators and the industry that things have changed. We better take a look in each region and start planning for the future. Okay. Well, all right. So we've got evolving power demand. Is the utility sector on track to be prepared for this? Yeah, I don't think so. Generally, we pay a lot of attention to transmission development in, in particular, and that's one area where... Uh, power demand can be met. Again, it, it already helps with integrating clean energy and it helps with these severe weather and reliability and resilience situations. But it also can meet energy and capacity needs. Very often the best resources are remote from an area. And if you look on a planning basis, whether it's an RTO area or a vertically integrated utility, traditionally regulated state, there is their planning is done by different entities, but somebody does the planning, I think they can look for more opportunities to cost-effectively meet growing load uh, with transmission. And and so that's, that's uh, we think, really important. There are a lot of ways to um, incorporate these load, load, this load information into transmission planning. And so we think that's, uh, that's very important. And generally around the country, that is mostly not being done. So it's worth, you know, we think raising. I'm glad you're doing this show. Uh, I think it's important for everybody to kind of get busy on, on transmission planning. 
again, for the reasons we already knew of, but also this new reason that maybe not everybody was paying attention to, which is power demand growth. Rob, you came from FERC, so you know how this group thinks. Let's talk about FERC's upcoming proposed rule on regional transmission planning. What exactly would this proposal do, and are its goals achievable? Sure, right. So they have this regional planning proposed rule, NOPER, they call it in the regulatory world, from almost two years ago. Uh, Chairman Glick and the commissioners at that time put out the rule. It was voted out unanimously on a bipartisan. Well, there were there were some there were some differences between the the commissioners, but uh, mostly supported on a bipartisan basis. At any rate, there was a two-year period there with a little bit of uncertainty of who the commissioners were, and then also some other business to get to, like the interconnection rule. We can talk about that too. But now it's time, according to the chairman, Chairman Willie Phillips, to get to this regional planning rule. And he said he's uh, intending to bring it up uh, this spring, which is that's the chairman's one of the chairman's roles is to determine the agenda and the timing. And so that's what we expect to see this spring, maybe April. We don't know exactly. He hasn't said, and and they they never quite know exactly until they get all the votes and get the order all all written. But what it does at the simplest, highest level is require all transmission planning entities uh, and utilities in each region who have transmission assets to plan for the future, to make their best estimate of what is future load and future generation, how many additions, how many retirements, roughly where are they going to happen, recognizing that there's always uncertainty with forecasting, but shifting a little bit of the emphasis away from erring on the on the side of doing nothing to making sure there are at least sort of least regrets planning done for known needs, looking at multiple benefits and reasons for transmission, reliability and resilience, and incorporating expected new generation, and not putting a thumb on the scale in terms of whether renewables are better than fossil or new generations better than old or doing other, anything that is, you know, might look like environmental policy, but just, again, do what planners do, which is anticipate based on the best information you have, what does the new generation and load picture look like, and then get the transmission planning engineers to uh, develop transmission plans to connect that generation and load. So at the highest level, that's what it does. Uh, people are, many of your listeners are probably aware of previous FERC attempts, like in Order 1000 issued in 2011, and previously Order 890 issued in 2007. Uh, and even Order 2000, which encouraged regional transmission organizations in 1999, and Order 888 in 1996, pushed on regional transmission. And I think there's a pretty solid consensus to say, yeah, the Commission's been trying this for at least 25 years. In fact, 30 years, if you include the uh, regional transmission group policy in 93, but never quite gotten it to work. And we've learned some things along the way, some things work, some things don't work. And part of the way to look at this order is, okay, we've learned some things. Now let's put in place what we know works and use the authority that the courts over the years have strongly clarified in for favor in terms of its authority to do things like this, namely uh, require certain transmission planning practices. So it's got the authority 
Uh, it largely knows what to do. There is a huge record of evidence and testimony and filings and reports in this docket at the commission. So it has all the facts and analysis it needs to act. Quite a lot of industry consensus across utilities, independent power, consumer groups, states, extensive dialogue with states. And so it really is ready to act. It's a lot of work for the commission staff to put together, which is part of why it's taken two years to get from the proposed rule to the final rule, but it looks like it's ready to go. And that's very exciting in my opinion. This is, in fact, I call this the biggest energy policy in the country, given the uh, impact it could have on some really important uh, activities to improve transmission planning around the country. Right. And this this planning program is basically referred to as the RM2117. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the docket name. Yep. Okay. Okay. Then you described that there's a lot of consensus and this has been going on for quite some time. But talk to us then, what is the counter argument? Why the holdup? Why is um, this still being discussed with uh, given, the, given the need and given the consensus? Well, there's always some resistance to FERC action, mainly because of the general resistance to federal agencies telling people what to do. Even in the regions that are most aligned with this initiative that I've described, they do want to sort of do things in their own way. The institutions are a little bit different in every region, the ways they operate, the, you know, the uh, power and authorities of uh, states and public power co-ops, utility, investor-owned utilities, it's all a little bit different by regions, which makes it always tricky for FERC to act in a nationwide rule that applies to everybody in the same way. So that's always, always a challenge, and we have that same challenge here, and general sort of resistance to uh, FERC requiring maybe utilities to do things they would rather not do. They may, for example, be vertically integrated utilities who want to protect the value of their own generation, which has sort of been a theme in past FERC orders in, you know, 2000, order 890, order 1000. And, you know, those are sort of reasons that over the last 25 years, both Republican and Democratic commissioners have said, okay, well, you know, utilities operate by according to the incentives that we, the regulator, set up. And we it's our job as the regulator to make sure those incentives lead to the actions that create just and reasonable rates and non-discriminatory access. And so, you know, if things are not working, then then we, the regulator, need to act. Uh, but that's that's the debate. You know, there are some utilities saying, you know, don't touch our our state, our region, we got this, you know, get out of our, get out of our business. And, and FERC and many other parties are basically saying, uh, look, you know, you can do things somewhat differently in your region, but you can't not do it. You can't not plan for the future and you can't avoid the reality that these are regional interstate connected networks. So, you know, it's a fiction other than Hawaii and Alaska and, and Texas, which are separated from the rest of the grid. It's a fiction that you can just do it alone on your own at the utility or state level. We really have to have rules that make sense across states and across regions. Right, yeah, that collaborative is um, is key here across the inter-regional inter collaboration is, is certainly key. So with that said though, the role of the government is on one hand to create and enforce such policies, but the other key opportunities, of course, the government affords is the funding. So talk to us about the state of the Department of Energy funding transmission programs and developments. Are they doing enough? Are funds reaching the most needed areas? Share with us your impressions on this. Sure. sure. Well, two, two answers. The, the first is that 
I think it's very exciting. The Department of Energy really for the first time in its history has a major program and a whole program office called the Grid Deployment Office, whose job it is, is to enable large-scale transmission. Uh, that's one of their jobs. And that's very important. Most people who know DOE know of its R&D programs and occasionally the pilot programs with utilities and sometimes doing studies with the national labs. And those are all still there and they're, they're nice to have and, you know, mod modestly helpful. But now they have a grid deployment office. They're really focused on deployment. And Secretary Granholm uses the, the mantra, deploy, deploy, deploy. And then her team of expert lawyers and engineers and economists have put together these programs and certain provisions of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and the Inflation Reduction Act give resources, including financing tools, to the Grid Deployment Office. And now they've mostly implemented those. They're still in the process of doing that. And they have strengthened backstop siting authority and directives to study congestion and capacity constraints. So there's a lot to do there, and they've set up these programs and hired a lot of staff, and I think it's really well positioned to make a long-term impact on transmission. And again, it's not the government taking over transmission. This is largely not going to be uh, government-owned lines. It's going to be private sector, private capital. It's going to be private utilities and transmission developers uh, who do it, but the government will be there as an enabler and a helper with financing tools, permitting tools, studies. Uh, ways to build consensus among states uh, and things like that. Uh, so that's the that's the first answer, which is that we have this exciting new opportunity in this program that really is in the business of enabling transmission. The second answer is the the however part. You know, however, all that said, it really doesn't have a lot of money in the scheme of things. It has barely any money for new transmission lines. Uh, there's a $2.5 billion transmission facilitation program that's uh, sort of like a loan, so it's not really $2.5 billion going out. It's paid back to the government. And uh, there's a couple of $5 billion pots, but those are really for bolstering the resilience of the existing system. I'm sure many or most listeners are involved in some type of GRIP or other funding program. There's you know, thousands and thousands of applications, as far as I can tell, coming in for different uh, proposals. And, that, and that's all great. But again, it's largely focused on the existing grid, protecting against wildfires and other threats and things like that. It's not really targeted at new transmission. Tr new transmission is eligible for some of it. So, you know, maybe if you add it up, we're in the $5 billion range for new transmission. But if you think about an industry that's spending $25 billion a year on transmission already, adding five, you know, is really not transformative. It's kind of a drop in the bucket, really, in the scheme of things. So so anyway, the good news is we have this program. It's a great platform for future contributions, but it's um, it's woefully underfunded at this point to make a huge difference. You know, you're out in the field. You see what's going on in this industry. Let's talk about technologies. A lot of the policy being put forth is based already what grid tech is currently available in the market. But when you look to the future, we have to assume a certain level of progress. So are there any specific, without naming names, but any specific advanced transmission technologies you're seeing that could change the status quo of the thinking by grid operators? Sure. Well, sure. I think there's a lot of developments in you know, ways to deliver more power over existing rights of way or the existing 
system. So if you kind of take a neutral perspective about whether a new line and a new right-of-way is needed versus just expanding our capabilities on the existing wires, which I think is the, you know, the consumer-friendly way to look at it. Like, let's, let's do whichever of those makes sense or whichever combination of all that makes sense. That's really best for consumers and therefore really what FERC should be looking at in terms of achieving just and reasonable rates. Then you start to notice all these technologies that have been deployed around the world and in places like the UK, where they have different incentive structures and you know, all across Belgium, they have dynamic line ratings. That's, that's one of them where when the wind blows, that's the major factor in how much physically a transmission line can deliver. And if the wind's blowing, then you can put more power over it without harming the line or annealing the aluminum. You can just put more power there and no harm done. Uh, but then maybe the wind stops blowing the next day and you can't deliver that much. So you really need to have a different line rating for day one versus day two, and that's called dynamic line ratings. So that's one. There's others, power flow control. You can physically move power over different paths. That's also being used around the world, all over, like a, a, a number of countries, a number of deployments. And topology optimization is a new one that came out of ARPA-E. It's a software that bucket, those three are usually known as grid enhancing technologies. There's also using storage as transmission as a, you know, as a specific application of uh, storage. You could think of that as another way to squeeze more out of the existing wires. And then if you think about the rights of way we have, think about this country and wherever you live as a listener, think about how could you get a new right of way anywhere near where you live? It's probably not going to happen, right? There's, I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. I, you know, I'm well aware of the rights of way that I drive past uh, where we do have some transmission lines and it's just hard to imagine or impossible to imagine new big rights of way like that. Uh, a little easier if you're out in the um, you know, middle of the country over farmland uh, and some public lands and we'll probably get some of that. But there's a lot of places where we're just really not likely to get new rights of way. So then you think about how do we squeeze more power over existing rights of way and you can do some things there too you could uh, do some of these uh, composite core conductors or superconductors are different cables that can deliver a lot more power without sagging and without you know with, uh, over the same right of way some of those uh, you can put right on the existing towers some of them you rebuild the towers but either way, you can do it on the same right of way so those are just uh, that's just a snapshot of, of some of the uh, some of the technology options, they have different challenges. Some of them are low capital costs, and that brings kind of their own set of challenges. Some of them are actually cost a little more and have high capital costs. Uh, and the with the utility incentives, that brings a, a different set of challenges. Sometimes the utilities like to have higher capital cost uh, technologies. They, they make more. They get a higher return on uh, big capital investments, uh, but then their regulators scrutinize them more. So that's that's the challenge there. So anyway, they each have their different set of challenges, but there are a lot of exciting technologies uh, that are that are coming in. And again, they're way beyond pilot mode because they're being used widely in other countries. It's just that our unique incentive, incentive structure here uh, makes it a little more challenging. And so uh, again, I think public policy is needed, FERC policy is needed to uh, to move those forward. From a utility perspective, they, of course, want to be ready for the future, but that happens with mixed results. When it comes to grading their progress in doing so, do you find that the typical utility is falling behind the curve, 
And for those that are, what are the real sources of inertia? Sure. I mean, overall, I think most utilities are, are doing a pretty poor job of planning for the future. Uh, and without pointing fingers, or there's various reasons why. So whatever, for whatever reason we got here, I think we can honestly look at the current practices relative to what needs to be done for proactive long-term planning and say there's a big gap there. We need to do better. It's not rocket science how to plan for the long-term. Heck, we did it in the 70s and 80s. There are different points of our history where we did a lot of planning for the future. But on uh, specifically regional transmission planning, we at Good Strategies did a report for Americans for a Clean Energy Grid. It's on our website and their website on a, a report card on transmission planning. There are a couple of um, regions doing pretty well, like California and MISO, Midwest. Most of them, however, our got a you know CD or F grade on that. Just again, trying to be very objective and look at the practices. Are you doing it or not? Check or you know putting a check or an X next to each one. So that's on regional transmission planning. On interconnection, there's been some reforms there. FERC order 2023 was helpful, but it was very modest. And so we're actually looking at that and trying to score and sort of give a baseline working with uh, the Advanced Energy Institute. And so look for that sometime in the not too distant future. Uh, it looks like the grades are also not very good there, but uh, that is at least an area where there's a lot of a lot of work being done in each region. So hopefully the report will be a baseline on that and we'll see some uh, significant improvement even in a, in a year that can, that can happen relatively quickly. And then on technology, uh, we haven't done any kind of formal assessment, but it's, it's really not been great. There's certain utilities that have done some things. PPL got an EEI award for dynamic line ratings. Uh, you know, National Grid in the UK does a lot, so their affiliate here does more than more than most, and that's that's great. Uh, and there's some other examples around the country where just probably just for management leadership reasons, they decided to get ahead and be technology forward, which we'd love to see in others. But I think we've got a long way to go. So again, I think policy will be needed to to move change the incentive structure and get get more of the technology going. That's great. That's really insightful, and we appreciate that. So I'm going to give you the last word, but before we do, we have something called the lightning round, where we get to learn a little bit more about you, the person, rather than you, the professional. Uh, we have a, a set of questions we're going to ask you, and we ask your response to be kept to one word or phrase. So, Rob, are you ready? Okay. Okay. All right. What's your dream vacation spot? Oh, well, I'm heading to... Devil's Thumb near Winter Park, Colorado to cross-country ski this week. So I'm going to say that. Okay. Best part about living in the greater DMV region? I generally love the people around here who are generally committed to public policy and interested in, in improving our, our country. That's So I'd say the people. Do you have any hidden talents? <laughs> Not really. I will say that I have, I think I've coached 70 seasons of youth sports, mostly soccer. So that's a, I don't know if I'm talented, but I, I've done a ton of it. What was your first job? Construction. How do you define success in your career? Uh, lasting impact on the issues we've talked about. And part of that is um, helping build a, a team of people, both at my organization and a lot of other organizations I work with to improve their capabilities. I'm not going to be here forever. And getting a lot of folks excited about this agenda. And we're giving you the opportunity to challenge a future podcast guest 
What's one question, energy-focused or otherwise, that you'd like to pose to a future guest who is sitting in your shoes in the lightning round? Sure. Well, a lot of what we talked about is how do you move tens of gigawatts of power across large swaths of the country? So that's what I would ask them. There are a lot of ways to do it. We don't have all the answers here, but that's the question we, we are always focused on, and it, it's hard. The answers are complicated. I think the question is simple. Yeah, I think I'm going to be waiting a long time for an answer to that, but it's a good question to ask. Nice job, Rob. As I said, I'm going to give you the final words. So our audience is made up of decision makers in the utility sector who perhaps could use a pep talk or guidance from someone with your foresight. So what do you hope is the one resounding message they should take away from today's conversation? Let's plan our tr transmission grid for the future. We can do this. The industry did long-term planning in the 70s and 80s. We actually did long-term transmission planning as recently as the 2010 to 2013 era, built a lot of transmission in a few different regions, but we kind of got our eye off the ball. So again, we know how to do it. We probably need to hire a bunch of young engineers and train them up to do all the work, but we can do this, so let's get going. Excellent. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, and thank you for joining us today. Ram, Rob Gramling, president of Grid Strategies, LLC. I'm no doubt that people are going to have a lot of questions and comments in Energy Central community. So please stay in touch with them and um, look out for any of those questions that come through. So until then, though, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Jason. Great to be with you. And you can always reach Rob through the Energy Central platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. And if our listeners have a question they want to have answered in a future episode of the podcast and even hear their own voice on an upcoming episode, we've started this year by offering our listeners the SpeakPipe link. So on the show, look at the bottom of the, of the podcast episode and submit a question and hear your voice on a future episode. We also want to give a thanks and a shout out to our podcast sponsors that made today's episode possible. Thanks to Wes Monroe. West Monroe is a leading partner for the nation's electric, gas, and water utilities, working together to drive grid modernization, clean energy, and workforce transformation. Our comprehensive services are designed to support utilities in advancing their digital transformation, building resilient operations, securing federal funding, and providing regulatory advisory support. With a multidisciplinary team of experts, West Monroe offers a holistic approach that addresses the challenges of the grid today and provides innovative solutions for a sustainable future. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com, and we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. <music>